0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Broadway and Other Kiwi Dreams, a podcast in which I, James Scherer, talk to inspiring and creative people in and around the New Zealand theatre industry and find out how they got that way. Today I am joined by Michael Bell. Michael's career began when he accidentally opened a recording studio at 19 years of age. Since then, he has grown both himself and his businesses into staples of the Christchurch, New Zealand, and Australian theatre scenes. Michael joins the podcast to talk about his musical upbringing as the son of two musicians. He details the aforementioned accidental beginning of his career. And of course, we find out how Michael was able to erect a large purple croissant in the middle of Christchurch City. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, enjoy A Conversation with Michael on Broadway and Other Kiwi Dreams. Mikey, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Thanks for the great introduction that you haven't recorded yet. (laughs) Don't ruin the illusion. (laughs) How's this crazy time been for you?
1: Yeah, it's been a weird time. eh? So we've decided to cancel this year's Playhouse tour. So um, Mm -hmm. that's all. Working out what to do there, if we can sort of tread water for another 12 months and pick it up next year and uh, so on. And um you know lots of shows cancelling for little a that's uh the audiences are pretty understanding of that mostly some of them um aren't but m- most most have been mm-hmm. amazing it's just sort of demoralizing work it's like sure. you know the funding applications been deleted um the cap's been lowered and you can apply now again if you can do a project by the end of september and so it's kind of like, well, just redoing this work then. And um, it's, I don't know. I I don't know about you, but I don't find funding applications like super inspiring. So it's just kind of that getting up and like trying to drag your feet, like the one meter from my bed to my computer in the
0: morning and, and, mm-hmm.
1: and doing that kind of work and being motivated. But other than that, you know, it's a, it's a weird time and a bit of a downtime for everyone. So
0: yeah. Everyone's kind of in the same boat as well, so yeah. So the first question I like to ask people is what is their favourite musical? Do you have a favorite musical?
1: I do, actually. It's the Book of Mormon, which I've seen three times, and I was just about to see for the fourth time until it got cancelled.
0: Oh yeah. At least you saw it three
1: times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I, I know spoilers, I know what happens.
0: <laughs> Why is that your favorite musical?
1: Um, I guess I was raised a Christian, so I think the jokes mm. kind of I identify with like quite personally and so they really make me um belly laugh and you know there's kind of not a lot you can fault in the in the music so it's just to me it's a really solid musical great music great story um great laughs um and yeah ri- and written from a place of like knowledge as well not just you know people who don't know anything about the bible it's
0: yeah um speaking of growing up mm-hmm. uh, both of your parents music teachers or just your mum?
1: Yeah, um, mum is a music teacher. Dad's a computer science lecturer.
0: Mm-hmm. He does music as well, though.
1: Eh? Yeah, that's right. He's So he's, yeah. uh, he did his letters in the organ and uh, plays piano. So we had a family band. So I joined that when I was 11 and uh, that was awesome. my job
0: through high school is playing at <laughs> weddings every weekend. What instruments did you learn?
1: Trumpet, piano, bass, drums,
0: yeah. And what did you play in the band?
1: Uh, first was drums and then I moved to bass when my brother joined the band on drums.
0: Nice. Moving up to high school, I heard that you were quite into accounting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I yeah, I was gonna be an accountant. Um was was my plan. Yes, yeah, Switched to music in my last couple of years. Glad I did. Nothing against accountants, but I'm really enjoying the music. <laughs> quite fulfilling on a non-financial level anyway
0: why did you move away from accounting into music was there a specific thing that happened or
1: there was actually um i had a bass lesson with tom rainey in year 11 and he just blew my mind with a whole lot of theory that i hadn't done before i, had, I didn't sure. didn't know existed um and gave me a bunch of cds to listen to we listened to cds then and uh i was like man this is really really awesome and i just i I get really really obsessive about stuff so i was like i just like read all the books and i started practicing three hours a day and um Hmm. i was like man this is this is where my heart is but that was the turning point for me i think
0: so the, your accounting side, was that sort of what brought you into creating a business and doing all that stuff? Or was it something else that made you want to do that? Yeah, I've thought about that.
1: I guess the accounting side of things has really helped. Like, if you find it, you know, the accounting language, uh, easy to understand, it makes it a lot easier to kind of, I guess, mm. put together business a business plan and run your business that certainly helped and um i think really i started a, started my first business by a complete accident so that was orange studio and mm-hmm. i was just doing backing tracks for my mates so um uh, rebecca nelson was one of my mates at high school and hamish oliver was working for white bait at the time he couldn't keep up with all the stuff that he was doing for them so he passed some work on to me and i just ended up doing more backing tracks and recordings and stuff like that. Um mm. uh so it was just word of mouth that that really started. Uh, found out about a few government jobs that were going, so put in some bids for them. Um and there were some there were some really good contracts. So kind of those were probably the best years that business ever had financially even didn't even know it at the time. But I think it's that and just a bit of um having enough privilege to like be able to take risks um helped as well just, you know, living at home, not having rent to pay, stuff just just like all the little Mm. things like that makes it kinda easier to start your first business. So I just always acknowledge that when I talk about the businesses and things like that. It was the second business, New Zealand Playhouse, which was a lot more thought through in terms of a business plan and this is the product and so on. Um uh yeah, Orange just really evolved into this big monster they can't really control anymore, actually. (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah but with Playhouse it's more because yeah the oranges there, there's no real product that we really offer we just kind of offer everything um which is yeah. really cool but also uh Achilles heel um because it's different <laughs> every day so we just can't really implement systems but New Zealand Playhouse yeah. there's like a product that's we do a show each year uh mm-hmm. and um and we know exactly who our customer is we know how to I guess sell the product to the customer so that's been a lot a lot better in terms of getting systems um and so on but i might yeah sorry if i'm jumping ahead
0: <laughs> no it's fine before we do jump ahead i want to ask you you've learned a bunch of instruments but is there any instrument that you haven't learned yet that you really would like to have a go on
1: i brought a guitar home from the studio for the lockdown with the intention <laughs> of learning that hasn't happened uh-huh. yet i um, yeah, really struggling. But if I did, that would be the one that I want to learn next. Somehow the days will end up getting away. It's really annoying.
0: <laughs> cool. So after high school, you went on to do what was then called jazz school. Did you do that for three years?
1: Kind of. Technically, yes. I kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit. Um Technically, mm-hmm. I was doing kind of first and second year full time. At the same time, I was doing year 13 full-time at the time it was they were contracted by the university to deliver the third year so i kind of had the prerequisites for third year when i left high school so i just ended up doing the third year straight away yeah ended up finishing when i was 18
0: which is crazy because then when you were only 19 you started orange studios which at blows my mind every time i remember that 19 years old is so young and for it to have grown so much mm-hmm. over the span of however many years it's been it's like you started that at 19 years old <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i mean it was very at that stage it was a small room in my parents house and sure. you put a microphone and the singer's standing a meter behind you um everyone's got headphones on and it's um
0: was it called orange studios at that point yep, or
1: only by accident cool. again because um we were working out what hessian color to put on the walls and just at a whim I, I found out that there was orange hessian and you know me i'm like bright colors awesome so yeah. um so we put orange hessian on the room uh, on the walls called it the orange room the orange studio and uh ended up registering it as a business for tax only for tax reasons at the time yeah. um as orange studio limited and then like everyone thought that my favorite color was orange so like for the next decade <laughs> all my birthday presents were all like orange colored so <laughs>
0: great and then you could say that it's all orange studio branded
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> everyone can um, text right off the the birthday presents.
0: Yeah, <laughs> is there a specific point where you think it sort of turned into a thing? Is there an artist that recorded with you where you were like, "Oh wow, this is massive"? Or
1: I'm trying to remember my thoughts at the time. Um, I made a movie, so a feature film, which we released in 2007, even available on uh, Amazon. Um, it's had one digital sale ever, which was amazing. And the coolest thing about that is that you can, um, at the time they would send you like sp- like monthly spreadsheets of who has purchased. So every month it was like zero, 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 zero. And then one month that came in, it's like someone has purchased your movie digitally and it had the email address of the guy that bought it. And I was yeah. so stoked. So like I obviously I googled his email address and came across his blog, which was at, at the top it said, Hi, I'm I am can not remember what his name was. Hi, I'm Mark. And my interests are running and watching bad movies. <laughs> actually I, I watched it last year and I was actually like, um, I'm really proud of what we did.
0: You can credit your whole career to Mark.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I must look that up again. Uh, but yeah, I, I suppose that was kind of like, you know, and the whole thing was done through the branding and I took the branding and the business, I think probably more seriously then than I do now. Sure. Did you do it
0: by yourself or did you have a partner at the time? No,
1: it was, um, it was just me. The first employee was Chris Finnity in 2009 mm-hmm. and we've kind of done heaps together since then.
0: Obviously hiring Chris in 2009 mm. also coincides with. The start of playhouse
1: man You man you done research this
0: is i love it of course <laughs> so what was the impetus for playhouse
1: so a guy called marcus hutchies who had just graduated nasda um he was mm-hmm. in a show um actually at the court at the time and afterwards the two of us it was like two in the morning we we're sitting in my car i think i was dropping him home or something and he was like do you think it's possible to make a living as an actor in new zealand and I said, "You got to make the, you know, got to make the opportunities." And we kind of both had had various theatre experiences as well, and we were like, "We think we can improve on what is sort of offered to both audiences and the staff." And we both thought it would be a great idea to do this touring kids show. um mm-hmm. So we went and had a coffee with Greg Cooper, and we're like, "Can we use your script?" And he was like, "Yeah, you yeah uh so we did and um yeah and the idea was basically to create work for marcus and then he ended up being cast in a court show um just after we kind of booked all the schools in because we were just phoning up schools being like would you like our show it's gonna be good we promise (laughs) um we uh we booked 60 schools in that year and Mm -hmm. then he got cast in a court show and he's like actually i might just do that and so we ended up with a completely new cast, uh, which was so good. And also at the end of that first tour, we kind of had some creative differences. Um, so we ended up parting ways and I just, um, long story short, I ended up just taking uh, on Playhouse by myself from 2010.
0: Mm-hmm. So you said you had 60 schools in the first year. Obviously, your your parents are teachers. So did that kind of help with getting contacts for that? or uh,
1: Uh, For my mum's school, it did. Um, I found that that kind of teachers, I don't think they kind of talk to each other as much as we'd like, you know, word of mouth Mm. to work. You know, all the time we've tried, hey, tell your friends at other schools to have us. And, you know, every now and again it happens, but most of the time schools just book us. Yeah, my mum's school booked in. um, But the rest of them around the South Island, we were just literally just picking up the phone to them and saying, Mm -hmm. hi, we're from New Zealand Playhouse. Uh, would you like to have our show? And most of them obviously said no, but enough of them did. I, I, I'm trying to remember how we managed to get all
0: those schools. <laughs> yeah, because 60s 60s quite a lot for a new business.
1: I mean, it was a lot of phoning,
0: <laughs> but it obviously worked for a certain number of years. Because now over 700 schools over, across uh, yeah, both New Zealand and Australia.
1: Um. Yep. So, uh, we were. Doing um seven hundred and fifty to eight hundred schools for about four years in a row, but we have mm-hmm. just downsized. So now we're now we're at about four hundred and fifty schools a year. So we've cut out the places that are that have been really problematic and difficult for us, and much shortened the tour much down. And it's sure. a lot, um, it's a lot smoother now.
0: And the high schools as well.
1: And the high schools, yeah, yeah. So we're not doing high schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, at the stage anymore
0: do you have a favorite show that you produced with playhouse not because of the cast or anything but just the show itself is there a show that you're particularly proud of and you don't have to say my show
1: <laughs> i was i was really <laughs> proud of that show that was a really really good year james I <laughs> it
0: was yeah for those that don't know last year i performed in the tortoise and the hare with playhouse just a bit of context and that was a
1: that was a bang in show 2011 was a really cool year we did the great rugby robbery so greg wrote it like a year before the rugby world cup we did our last show a week before the rugby world cup final and the whole plot of the show culminates in a new zealand versus france final and then like france is ahead until the end and then new zealand wins at the last minute and then the actual rugby world cup final pretty much mirrored this story that we'd been telling in primary schools for for like the two terms leading up to the Rugby World Cup final. That's and crazy. We were so stoked. <laughs> <It> was...
0: <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Was that after the earthquakes? Yeah, yeah, that was just after the earthquakes. So it was kind of after the earthquakes, getting back into it, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I guess it was yeah, it was a bit weird like rehearsing uh, mm. you know, uh in other places. I mean, probably the weirdest thing about the earthquakes is actually we so at that stage we did the high school play in term one, and then the primary school play mm-hmm. term two and three. So yep. we were in the middle of our high school tour in term, and on the 22nd of February, and that was yep. Dan Bain, Brendan Bennett, and Ralph and hale who right. uh, were doing Shakespeare as You Write It. We performed in Christchurch that morning. I remember Ralph came into the studio that lunchtime being like, hey, do you mind if I take the van home? Um, I can't remember why, but I was like, yeah, yeah, do it. Which mm-hmm. turned out to be so lucky because he got right. it out of the CBD. Yeah. Um. Brendan rode literally lived on the second story. He was sitting on his couch that afternoon. Rode his second story down to ground level, sitting on his couch, and then just really walked onto his balcony and then walked onto the ground. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And luckily, no one was in the flat beneath him. Yeah. Dan got a leak in his. hot water cylinder i think it was um so his place flooded and ralph was staying with michael bush and their place was made out of brick and just crumbled down so needless to say we canceled the shows the next day and i think the day after that it was tuesday so wednesday and thursday and i think it was friday i don't know how or what but we were back on the road and doing shows in timaru on friday and we finished off the whole tour wow anyway there's that one
0: yeah jumping forward about a decade right Yep. little andromeda um how did that sort of come about
1: i'm pretty addicted to um i guess doing new things Mm -hmm. as soon as orange opened like i kind of knew what i wanted it to be and i wanted it to be like largely a live space as well as um a recording space wanted it to be a place that could be um hospitality as well as you know, we didn't quite manage to get the kind of hospo side into Orange, but, uh and it was also in Fairy Mead, which turned out more and more to be harder to convince audiences to go out to. So uh in yeah. 2014, once Orange was open, um I started working on plans for the next, you know, for Little Andromeda. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, sorry, for Big Andromeda. Uh right. so that was what, six years ago? Putting together a business plan for it. Had some really cool things lined up actually. And it was just supposed to be a space cabaret. Like I had this idea I wanted to do like a technology cabaret show largely yeah. for a tourism market. Um but also I knew I had lots of mates that needed a theatre. So mm-hmm. um I wanted to make it one that could be shared with other groups. Um uh, and and initially I was like, right, so I um, want to build this space around the show, which is, you know, I'll do my show on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, but then at least four days a week that other people can, you know, get get in there. I uh, didn't take too much market research asking people if they'd be happy with that for them to be like, you know, like kind of Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they would be the nights that other people would want to use it as well. So I kind of worked out there was a bit of a problem there that there's, you know, that the weekends are going to be pretty prime time. Mm. And at the same time, um, I started dealing with the council who I contact there, found out I was working on this plan saying, look, we've got some money to put into a multi purpose theater. Do you want to mm-hmm. develop it towards that? And I was like, yeah, sweet. Um, that sounds great. Like they had 15 million on the table, um, to put, uh, to put a theater up. Uh, mm-hmm. and it was probably about six months into that mm-hmm. when I realized there was obviously someone else vying for that share of the funding i had this battle for a couple of years and he obviously won that battle uh so i was um i was ready to give up and actually i was ready to um move to melbourne possibly Mm -hmm. wellington probably melbourne chris and me had talked about it we were like we can actually run playhouse from anywhere like it's a very like (laughs) we tour the country we tour australia pretty mobile so yeah i was pretty much ready to just leave the city and not not like sulking and storming out or anything but just being like all right i've done my dash here a few people were just like don't give up mikey don't give up like we can we we should keep pushing and so we put this tent up and i couldn't believe how many people got behind it then and i think at that point that's what really made the council see that there was a need for a multi-purpose theater in christchurch until then they were like well, there hasn't been one before, really. So there's no use for it. There aren't any performing arts groups in Christchurch that we know of. So who are you building this for? It's too much of a risk. And, you know, you're saying, look at Auckland, they've got Basement Theatre. Look at, uh, you know, they've got Q Theatre. Look at Wellington, there's bats, you yeah. know, right, right, right. Uh, and they're going, like, what? Q? What? Bats? What? You know. <laughs> <laughs> but then all of a sudden, we kind of had this thing where you just get this real sense that all the people that were making decisions you know before go oh that's oh that's what you meant (laughs) yeah and i think putting that tent up was just the best thing we could do because it made it so much easier from there to say this is what we're about and from there Mm. you know anthony um very kindly donated us uh the space on the terrace for a while uh we're still there and you know the council came back with more funding to help us get off like we're still nowhere near with we haven't got what we need yet, but we're getting closer and closer there every year. And I think we've really got the steam up and I think people are kinda of getting that uh what we are. We're not trying to present an alternative to, you know, the court theatre or anything. And I think we're showing that people wanna come out and watch original stuff as well. Yeah. So um so we've kinda of got the steam up now and now I'm like, Oh well, <laughs> this is this is my lot. So um so I'm gonna I'm gonna stay here in Christchurch until I feel fulfilled.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you are putting on shows for the artists. It's mainly for people to come and perform rather than to get audiences and to see theatre, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah,
1: obviously we think a lot about the audiences and really want to look after and develop and so on, the audiences. But we wouldn't not program something just because we think only five people are going to turn up. If we're like, no, this work needs to be tested, even if only five
0: people go, yeah,
1: we'd have a crack.
0: Little Andromeda, have a crack. (laughs) So... Another question that I like to ask performers is what is your favorite role that you've played? Now, you haven't played any roles, but you did almost play a role. This
1: is right. Yes, yes. I almost got cast in the court theater production of um, The Seagull. I was backstage. Greg was there. We're in the costume department, and Elric Cooper, he just points at me. He sees me from across the room. He goes, you, you're perfect. And he walks over and he goes, What are you doing in two weeks time? Will you be in the seagull? And I was like, well, you know what? And Greg just, he just steps in front. He goes, I'll just, I'll just stop you there, Mikey. Eric, Michael is a terrible actor. You don't want him. Um, go find someone else. And he's like, oh, okay, then, okay. And he walked. I was like, Greg, that was my break. That was my break. So yeah, so I blame Greg for that to this day.
0: So I've touched a bit on coronavirus and this whole situation. Are you worried of what's going to come of it? or are you, are you optimistic about what's going to happen?
1: By the time this podcast is released to the ether, whatever I say now is going to be completely yeah. out of date. It's probably it, going
0: to be out of date tomorrow.
1: Yeah. So we're currently talking on the 8th of April. Um, Creative New Zealand has just released updated um, guidelines for what is relevant. Like one of the really cool things is that Creative New Zealand are being like, we really want to help artists, we really want to get people through this. We uh, really want to come to the party. So for that I'm really grateful to Creative New Zealand. Um one of the question marks at the moment, as of 8th of April um 2020, is the criteria don't feel perfectly designed for theatre companies like Little Andromeda or New Zealand Playhouse. The reason I say that is they've kind of got these kahikatea groups um, who have got annual funding and that that annual funding is not going anywhere uh, and then the only question is do they just need a bit more help from cnz to top them up to make sure they can open their doors when they're ready again and yeah. then you've got artists who are like i've got a project and i can still deliver it as long as i deliver it before the end of september i can go for funding for that, Little A and New Zealand Playhouse are kind of fulfilling roles of cohegitier k- groups, but we haven't been CNZ clients. So, right. like at, at at the moment, I mean, our funding application for our winter season has just been deleted to make way for COVID nineteen subsidies. So yeah. we've got no funding for that. We can reapply, but it's not. It's going to be reduced caps, and it can't just be yeah. for running the theatre, and it can't be for paying holly and me and it's exactly the same with new zealand playhouse we want to just postpone this tour by a year but that doesn't fit in with this project being done by september um Mm. we've got the government subsidy but those wages all have to go to the people that we apply for them for so that's where they're going um so i've decided to put my subsidies into the operating expenses of the businesses because we can't apply for funding anywhere else for just general operating expenses. Like it does feel really difficult for us at the moment, but that's mm-hmm. only speaking from my perspective. And I know every arts organisation is going to have their own issues. And the fact that we're experiencing these issues at all means um, that we've. Had good luck in the past. So I I don't want to, you know, I don't want to complain again. I feel Mm. (laughs) like there are people in much better situations, but people in much worse situations as well. So
0: totally. You know, obviously artists are struggling at the moment as well. Mm. And I think once this is all over, they're going to need somewhere to go and perform. And as we've talked about, I think Little Andromeda is that for Christchurch, at least. You know, hopefully that can be there when this is all over.
1: Yeah, sure hope so. Just before the lockdown happened, we did a couple of shows and one really cool show was with blackboard theater collective nomi did this pub quiz and we -hmm. said if you want to come come if you want to stay at home stay at home and everyone could participate from home or in the theater and it worked really really well so we're thinking if and when we start up again we want to do more shows like that shows that are flexible to participate from home or in the theater and also shows that aren't going to be sort of totally put out if the day before they're supposed to go on, you know, Cinder tells us we're back at level four again, that we've sure. either can still go ahead with it or we're not like ah oh crap, we just spent four weeks of rehearsing to, you know, put this thing on. That's not happening. So <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited about our potential kind of staggered
0: reentry into this theatre. I'm excited too, Mikey. Hey guys, Future James here. I just wanted to give an update on this situation. Little A is going ahead with everything that Michael just laid out. The funding is still in the works. However, they are open for submissions for shows that will work at any level of lockdown. So if you have a show in mind or you want to pitch something, you can find out more about it, as well as where to apply, on the Little Andromeda Facebook page, which is in the description. And now, back to the podcast. On a lighter note, you've been doing some hilarious Instagram stories. <laughs> do you want to catch people up to date as to just the general uh, story of what's what's happened
1: yeah so currently on day 14 of uh, me going to my imaginary cafe just started on day one just uh, i've got sachets to try and recreate my morning latte experience having yarns with the coffee person the barista i've uh, basically, almost ended up falling in love with one of the baristas, but through a miscommunication, I've ended up, I'm straight, by the way, but now there's the guy here who is convinced I'm gay and, um, and he thinks we're about to go on a date and then I accidentally got a job as a kitchen hand in there and we've just realized that the whole cafe is actually a front for a cocaine operation. Um, so I'm just, yeah, just posting daily updates when I make my coffee and just, um, imagining the goings on of this imaginary cafe. Mm-hmm. Trying to keep things, you know, just like normal, really.
0: Can't imagine where you'll be when this podcast is released. <laughs> yeah. Maybe future James will jump in and update. Thanks for the setup past James. Hey guys, future James here again. So as New Zealand has moved into lockdown level three, Michael can now get a real coffee from a real cafe. And so his imaginary cafe is now closed. Here's what happened after day 14. Jacinda Ardern came into the cafe and Michael gave her a bag of cocaine for free. Next day's headline Prime Minister admitted to Christchurch Hospital, fainted after cocaine overdose. Michael poisons the boyfriend of the girl that he fancies, and she asks him to go with her to the funeral. Michael thinks it's a date. It was not a date. Michael is fired from Imaginary Cafe for poisoning someone. Michael goes to another cafe and starts hitting it off with the barista there. She slips him a note We're starting a cult. Want to join? And now back to the podcast. So this this show is called Broadway and Other Kiwi Dreams. My dream is being a performer in theatre, um, not necessarily on Broadway, but that kind of area, and that's what inspired the name. I wanted to ask you, what is your Kiwi dream? Small, big, obscure, mm. mainstream? What do you want to do that you maybe haven't already done?
1: I, I don't want to talk about it too much until I've actually decided if I can try and make it happen again, but... Once Little is underway, I would like to try and get this space cabaret <laughs> happening again. Cool. I'll need to find a new name for it because Andromeda's now <laughs> been um, hijacked by this theatre. That's kind of something that I would think about doing in the medium term. But the only other thing okay. is like, I don't know. If you asked me 10 years ago, it was definitely to build a sound stage in Christchurch where like orchestras could record film scores. And I was cool. just so excited about doing that but I've kind of not really got any interest in doing that anymore (laughs) I think I keep changing as a person and kind of having thoughts about what I would love to do next I'm kind of I, I reckon if you ask me again in four years time I'll have a completely different answer to be honest so I've kind of yeah just accepted the fact that I'm stopping having one life goal and just want to just
0: see where the wind blows a little bit if this podcast is still around in four years then we'll have you back and we'll see what you're doing then (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for doing this
1: oh thanks for thank you for having me i'm honored to be to be on here
0: yeah and you're within the first four guests or three guests even yes yeah so thanks mikey thanks to you at home for listening and until next time bye (laughs) Day. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed learning more about Michael and getting a sneak peek behind the curtain of a theatre company. As Michael said, you can find him on Instagram by searching at BassGit. That's B-A-S-S-G-I-T. You can also find out more about Little Andromeda on their Facebook page. Just go to at Little C-H-C-H. You can check out more of the podcast by going to our website or any of our social media accounts. All of those links are in the description. Join me next week as I talk to someone who has persuaded some of the biggest names in theatre in the world to come to a little town called Christchurch and teach at his theatre school. On Broadway and other Kiwi dreams.